Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Danielle Orchard is a painter based out of Brooklyn, New York. She received her BFA from Indiana University in 2009 and her MFA from Hunter College in 2013. She's shown to galleries such as Monia Rowe in Florida, Terry Goldberg, Tamor Graney, Mulherin, and Judith Charles in New York, and Kerr's Gallery in Amsterdam, amongst many others. She attended Yaddo in 2015 and was an MFA Fellowship recipient from the Daedalus Foundation in 2013. She also has an upcoming four-person exhibit at DC Moore Gallery in Chelsea. I met up with Danielle at our studio in Brooklyn, and we talked about her large family, emo music, Picasso, and algorithms. Here's our conversation. <laughs> There's no like countdown or whatever. Oh, okay, we're just going. Yeah, yeah, oh, okay, just cool. Talk about it. So, cool. I'm really excited to be here and see your work. Yeah, thanks I've been for coming. Seeing it in reproduction uh-huh. and it's really nice to see all this do you think it's better in, in real situ. life in situ i do well you know some paintings good. kind of fail in person but they look really good reproduced yeah i know and some paintings give you although yours kind of have the surface and when you see it in reproduction it looks like they would look like this in person oh because of the painterliness yeah. of it uh-huh. you know? i think a lot of times when people will see my work they think it's going to be super flat Right, but there's and it's actually, not. Well, there's a lot of little stuff in there mm-hmm. that you don't see, but reproduction makes it look really nice and graphic, and right. people think it's flat if they've never seen it, but there's all sorts of like little levels of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. But yours have kind of a surface, I would imagine, too. That's great. Oil paint? They are oil, yeah. All oil. Okay, so where do we start? Um, where did you start? Where did I start with these works? No, where did you start? Oh, like in, in my life? Yeah. Um, so I'm from Indiana. Uh-huh. From I was born in a place called Michigan City, Indiana. Okay, that's not which Gary. Is not Gary, but it's pretty close. Oh, I really? mean, I mean, not geographically, but oh, you know, like close. spiritually. I think oh, it's, really? yeah. <laughs> Industrial? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I actually didn't, I have no memories of that place, though. We moved when I was really little. And uh, relocated to Fort Wayne, Indiana, mm-hmm. which is uh, near the, it's kind of close to Detroit. Yeah. And it sort of feels like that. It's like mm-hmm. kind of a Rust Belty. Um, and that's where I grew up and lived uh, until I went to college, Indiana University in Bloomington. What was um, growing up? Did you have siblings? Yeah, I have a huge family. I have um, five brothers and sisters. Whoa. Yeah. I have two, two brothers and three sisters. And where did you fall chronologically? I have... Uh, Are you in the middle? Two, well, there's no middle of six, but yeah. there are, I have two younger, three older. So yeah, like kind of effectively, yeah. Yeah, you're not on the edge. Right. <laughs> what is like the, emotionally in the what middle. What is the, the oldest of six? Like, what are they like? Um, she's um, never going to listen to this. So... <laughs> Let it out. <laughs> Um, You know, I think it was kind of tough for her because she has memories of being an only child. Yeah. And uh, or one of two. And then that kind of rapidly changed. Right. For me, it was always like a huge family. That's just what I knew. Yeah. Um, And she she's, you know, she's not my favorite sibling. (laughs) (laughs) We don't get along so well. Is there a way to block her from ever listening? (laughs) I don't. I really I don't think this would be on her radar at all. She works um, for, you know, she was actually always really artistic growing up, um, mm-hmm. a really amazing drafts person and very creative. She, she got married super young and she actually has four kids. I have seven nieces and nephews. I th- for a second, I thought you were about to say I have seven kids. I have seven children. <laughs> you look amazing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's a lot of work. I could not tell. You seem really relaxed. <laughs> So big family, was it just always a big family in yeah. your family? Yeah, it was always a big family. My mom um, is Catholic. I don't think that had anything to do with it. But she, oh, sure it did. May, maybe. <laughs> You're just like okay with that number. It's just not, you know, inconceivable to have six children. Right. 
but my my dad com- comes from a big family. He has um, well, he has three brothers, mm-hmm. and then my mom's from a very small family, actually, just two. And they grew up. They lived in Brazil. My dad lived in Brazil for oh, most really? of his life. Mm-hmm. He's not Brazilian. He's How did that a white dude. Um, he his dad used to run a I think an auto like a car company or mm-hmm. something. I think it's now defunct. I, I wouldn't even know the name of it. But he lived there for most of his teens and then um, met my mom when they were pretty young. I think they started having kids when they were like 23 and then had them for a long time. <laughs> Kept having them. <laughs> so so th- were they creative? Yeah, I mean, my dad, it, I have a super working class yeah. background. Um, but my dad, I remember always being really good at drawing and um, like wood carving. And he's he's one of these people who you know, just decides to build a deck mm-hmm. and then just makes it, you right. know, or that kind of, creative. you know, yeah. Or just like can conceive of how to construct kind of anything and then just does it. Yeah. Or work on cars. You know, mm-hmm. I remember he would get those, you know, like a car manual. It's not a crazy thing, but yeah. um, it seems like something from the past, but you could get them from like the library and they're yeah. printed on like Bible paper effectively. And mm-hmm. then he could just read them and figure out how to fix isn't that crazy? Isn't that insane? Pre-internet. My yeah. dad had one. It was like the home improvement, you know, book thing. Yeah. DIY whatever. Right. And you would just look through the book and hope that the weird thing you had to fix in your basement was in that book. Right. And then you just follow the diagram. Yeah. Yeah. Different times. It's incredible. So, um, so it, he was creative, I think, in that in that sense. Working class people, mm-hmm. it's interesting how they have to squeeze in, if they're really creative in their nature. Mm-hmm. They're working all the time, so Absolutely. they just have to find little ways. Like my mom, uh, colored in coloring books. Wow, that was yeah. like the hint. Yeah. That my parents were creative. You know, like she would color in coloring books. It's true. It was always a hint. It was yeah. something they that alluded to this other, you know, possible existence that right. could have been or something. Yeah, totally. Like but five thousand magnets on the fridge or right. something. Whatever it is, they can do that. <laughs> the creative outlet. <laughs> right. right. Yeah, or my mom does and continues to do. Um, like floral arrangements mm-hmm. for weddings and stuff like that. So, and she's actually really good at it. And um, yeah, so I guess it was just expressed in these, you know, kind of unorthodox way yeah. ways. Um, so yeah. when you were in school, mm-hmm. I mean, was was art something that you've always loved, or did it something you found through a teacher? Or yeah, you know, I was. It was always what I was best at, mm-hmm. and I never had any other talents. Um, so I pursued it pretty, you know, wholeheartedly. Yeah. In high school, I had this, you know, my sister and I had the same art teacher, and she has this completely different memory of her being this, like, terrible person, and I loved her. I was obsessed with her. Uh-huh. And she would let me go and hang out in her classroom, you know, during lunch period and stuff like that. And uh, So, yeah, I think it was always part of my identity and what I wanted to be and never really pursued any other interests yeah. at all really so so did you yeah. know though that you were going to pursue it be a genius someday um <laughs> a savant right <laughs> <laughs> a world-renowned I, artist i did the um have you ever heard of the international baccalaureate program i haven't it's this uh sounds good I don't, maybe it's just like i know it sounds very impressive i think it might just be this indiana thing um basically you just take advanced classes and then there's uh, a portfolio review mm-hmm. at the end of it I don't know who's reviewing it. It's very shadowy. It sounds uh, open-ended. <laughs> I think it's just bullshit. But I did it, and I, uh, you just have to go through all of these um, you know, steps and requirements for an art portfolio. Right. And then at the end, they evaluate you, and I think you maybe get college credit or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I did that just for art, but didn't complete it because at the end, I realized that it costs like $300. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh. And did it involve drawing a turtle? Yeah, like you have to exactly you have to do like you know a certain number of three D objects like that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I guess I was taking it seriously as much as one can, mm-hmm. you know. And I finished high school early. Is that when I was in high school, you could elect to graduate a year early. Whoa. Which it's sounds like such a bad idea. Merit? Yeah, you just have to meet all the requirements. You yeah. just have to take extra classes like That's over the cool, summer. Though. Yeah, it's cool. And I thought that it was a great idea. It seems like a terrible idea now because then you're out of high school when you're 17 and I didn't apply to college right away. So I just had this year where I just, you know, 
Well, it's better to be free in that year of social awkwardness than be yeah, it's in true. high school. Because <laughs> high school <laughs> totally is brutal true. with it. That is true. Yeah, so I, you know, was going through all that alone and hanging out with like weird old people. Uh-huh. So you spent a year <laughs> doing that? Yeah. And, and I, then you said, I'm getting out of here. Yeah. And then I went to um, college and I remember I just applied to one college online and that was Indiana University uh-huh. and they have very low standards for admission. And That's I, Indiana I met University, those. IU, mm-hmm. yeah. not Indiana University of Pennsylvania. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Which exists. It's true. It does. Um, this was the one in Indiana. So how was that? It was cool. I actually had a great experience there. Yeah. Um, what was the art pro? Or were you, were you a fine art painting major? Yeah. Or? So I went straight into that. But there was this, uh, this thing where you have to apply to the BFA program once you're into the college generally. Mm-hmm. And it's very unofficial, but they make it feel so intense. You yeah. have to hang all of your work uh, from prior semesters and then the professors come through and just, you know, take notes and ask you questions. You yeah. know, it's like this critique situation sort oh, of. Oh, they do it right on the spot. Yeah, right in front of you. And you have to just stand there and uh, be terrified. And they, they reject people. Yeah. Like, pretty commonly. And Well, there's o- usually there's only so many studios. It's true. And actually, IU has a really incredible studio program. I mean, like, the, the structure. Facilities? Is, yeah, the facilities, yeah. that's the word. Um, and you share them with uh, the graduate students, so it feels, you know, really professional. You mean like the general room where all the studios are in, or you actually share studios with? Well, you the have, grads? you know, like my space is almost this big. Uh-huh. Uh, they're kind of massive for undergrads, and they're um, private as well. So you're sharing oh, nice. with, yeah, it's kind of crazy. So you're in the same building with all of the grad students, and it's a satellite off of the main campus mm-hmm. so it feels like this kind of um like insular kind of protected colony yeah like a colony yeah <laughs> exactly colony. so it felt some art schools do i mean some yeah. uh, universities do that where the art schools have this nice kind of secluded yeah like art zone that no one else at the university really cares about right and that's it's like we can go off here and be weird right <laughs> you can like <laughs> chain smoke outside yeah and just leave yeah. us alone right exactly but you had to take um i mean going to the university did you have to take general education requirements and all that stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's still a liberal arts degree, so you have to do, um, like, I, I failed math twice. <laughs> <Was it? laughs> the first one, I had to take a, a remedial math class because my SAT, or ACT, rather, was so low that they put you in this class where you don't even get credit. You just have to, you know. Is it called r- Math 100? <laughs> it's just... It's just called math. math. They don't even get it, give it a proper, <laughs> yeah. you know, designation. So you failed math. So I failed math. <laughs> and then uh, I had have to statistics or something? That something That's else? so hard. I would never elect oh, to take really? that. I mean, I think so. I don't know. You end up having to take finite mathematics, which is kind of um, interesting because it's sort of, there's a lot of, there's a visual component where you yeah. have to learn about the, kind of the conceptual side of math, which I was actually sort of good at. Um, Anyway, yeah, so you have to do all of that stuff. Yeah, math is, not to go on the tangent. No, please, go for it. But um, the way we learn math, I think, is really bad when when I I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Because my son learned Singapore math. What does that mean? Uh, Yeah, exactly, that's what I said. (laughs) What the hell's that? (laughs) Sounds really hard. It's like, no, it's like visualizing and story-based. Or, you know, like, it's like problem-solving math. Mm -hmm. So not just stacking numbers and doing it that way, but actually understanding and resolving problems that are narrative right and there's a whole other side of like the way they break things down that i have no idea how it works but mm-hmm. it seems impressive <laughs> and, and way more like applicable to real life right than what we did and not designed to humiliate do you remember we have to do like math drills and things like that yeah where well, you were called to the blackboard and you had to oh, yeah, answer yeah. problems in front of the class the and spot. race the kid next to you, which yeah. is so insane to me, and it just instills this sense of fear and you know alienation at a young age. In public shaming, right? Motivation so I, to be better through public shame, right? Or you know, rewarding the kids who were naturally super good at it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But a lot shaming of, the kids who weren't really bad. A lot of methods that seem suspect. Yeah, I think this that's age. pretty outmoded. Yeah. Now. I don't think anyone really does that kind of stuff. But yeah, so then IU was um, 
was great. I actually fell in with this guy named Barry Gelt, who mm -hmm. is a painter, um, really amazing landscape painter. And he was in his last two or three years uh, on the faculty. Now he's emeritus. And I think he's still pretty involved. Um, but he was just incredible. He was really like, super intense, really mean, mm -hmm. but the most like generous giving person but very rigorous you know right. you couldn't you i don't know you couldn't like bullshit with him he was very um insistent on hard work and that kind of thing and but he's also just really really funny um and he took us to he was also able to just procure funding for all these crazy things like he took us to italy to mm -hmm. florence and he took us to um giverny and we stayed in Monet's house Whoa. as Wait, undergrads. How long were these trips? Yeah, they were like a week. That's cool. Week and a half. So you got to see some stuff. Yeah, it was cool. Um, I didn't realize how amazing it was because I had no, you know, context. Right. So I was, yeah, this is just what school is and until I got out and saw how kind of dedicated he was. Um, and I worked with, but yeah, that program is very, uh, you know, it's very, what's the word? Observation based, mm -hmm. you know, where you're like painting models and, right. um, you know, learning painting how to, from life. yeah, painting from life. Exactly. Which so, is a great foundation. It's true. Yeah. It's super stuffy. It is. But it's really good for undergrads. I think. I think it's a good, yeah. Even if you, <clears throat> you buck the system, it's good mm -hmm. to at least have that framework to work off of, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think just, you know, even just muscle memory, like my sense of kind of my fluency with the material or something is so based in those early classes where yeah. you're just mixing color from from life and um, yeah, so I'm glad I had that foundation. It, it was strange, I was actually just thinking about this today, so the way that the critiques worked for um, both undergrad and graduate students mm -hmm. is that you, uh, the teacher, the professors, uh, line up at the front and then all the students sit behind them right. and don't talk. And the students? Yeah, the students right. don't say anything. And then the student being critiqued sits up front in that's front of everyone. Where I teach. That's so crazy. Why? That's that's perfect. Really? <laughs> yeah. Of course. <laughs> I don't know. It just seems so bizarre to me as if you said anything as a student behind the professors, everyone would kind of turn in their chairs and you know, the room oh. would just get really quiet. Yeah, well, ours, no students will talk. Oh, they're not allowed to talk? They just don't. They just don't. Even the students who are about to have the critique can open with a statement, and they might quickly, but that's Yeah, it. really. And yeah. then, so it's just the professors having a conversation about the work. Yeah, because I remember huh. in graduate school, when when we were about to have our first critiques, it was just the other students would say, you, you know, don't say anything. Just right. And then you'd be like, whoa, don't you want to defend your work or talk about like what your ideas are? And they're like, look, you have a half an hour mm -hmm. or whatever it was, 20 right. minutes or a half an hour for all the faculty to be in one place at one time to talk about your work. Hmm. Don't talk because you can always talk about your work. You have very little opportunity to hear them all ruminate and like, you know, discuss your work amongst themselves and you get to hear that. Mm -hmm. So I kind of... That's true. I, I kind of opened yeah. my eyes up. and But then it was like, you know, it turned into a battlefield of professors versus professors exactly. and ideologies versus ideologies right. but after if you're not on the spot on stage like after the fact you think back to that and you think well actually that's good because in a way you're a fly on the wall hearing these different points of view about when do you ever get to hear that mm -hmm. like that different true. people with different staunch views of what art should be or what your art is you know fighting it out and that's mm -hmm. I think a really productive discussion to hear as a bystander as an artist because you never really get to hear that no that's exactly true I guess I was thinking more that uh the professors did it did kind of devolve into this ideological war between mm -hmm. there were two kind of camps at IU and um one group wanted to see the school kind of open up curriculum wise and the other sort of pretty firmly planted in you know, the observational figurative world. Mm -hmm. And so it would kind of, the, com the conversation would quickly steer away from the work and become one of, you know, 
in yeah. fighting, basically, right, right. which seems so stupid because who cares? And you guys yeah. are tenured faculty, you have nothing to worry about. Right. And you're in Indiana and no one cares. <laughs> yeah, but that kind of I- intensity, mm-hmm. or I- if anything, it, I think it does, it shows you that people can have really strong opinions. Absolutely. Be, albeit maybe one-sided or whatever, but the passion totally is good yeah because it you feel like your artwork is provoking something you know what I mean totally as opposed to just like eight people being like yeah I don't know add a more red on that one you know where if they're passionate about it even if it's misguided or they get away from exactly what you're trying to get to in your work (laughs) Mm -hmm. you can think to yourself wow it there's a discussion happening you know because I feel like really the the last thing you want in showing your work to people as silence or yeah. just kind of like, oh, this, this is pretty good. Sure, yeah. You know, like complacency. Yeah, and that was a big shock moving to New York from Indiana because I applied to a few grad schools and Hunter was the only one that I got into that was really financially viable. Yeah. And I also just really wanted to be in New York. And um, I had a, some friends who had moved here already who were, you know, somewhat established. And, uh, but there was a lot of kind of practiced indifference when I got to grad school mm-hmm. that I wasn't used to. I was used to that that intensity, intensity yeah, and everyone is, kind of competing about you know hours in the studio and you know yeah. who's working harder. That's uh, funny that you, if you told someone off the street, you know, Indiana versus Hunter, mm-hmm. you would think that the New York City art school is going to be the one where it's like, get your ass in there and work your butt off. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then Indiana would be like, oh, well, it's undergrad, you know, just come in. But it's flipped. Oh, totally. And there's so much more, um, you know, crafting of persona mm-hmm. in New York Yeah. <laughs> that Which, people are concerned with. You know? Yeah. And right. that's a little bit more where the focus is at times, I think. Not always, of course. There. Right. And I found a good... And the Hunter's program is so huge. They take... Um, I don't know, like 30 people a year or something mm-hmm. like that. And then it's, maybe it's more than that. It might be more like 50. And then you're three years in the same building. So there's 150 students there at any one time. Yeah. What years were you there? I was there 2010 to 13. Mm-hmm. And we were one of the last classes in the old building that was on at Times Square. Did you ever go to that space? I haven't. Um, I, they I moved. Admit, I don't know much about, other than friends who've gone there, I don't yeah. know much about the program there. It was it was amazing. It's only you know five thousand dollars a year mm-hmm. or something like that, which is incredible. And um, you get this massive. Well, it used to be really huge, raw kind of spaces, and you could do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. There's actually this crazy story um, about the way that it was founded. The program, the building was owned by CUNY, mm-hmm. but I think was unoccupied, or they were renting out some of the offices, and. Um, the people who pioneered the program, which is Sandy Wormfeld, was one of them. He's a um, color field painter. Mm-hmm. He just like kind of asked if they could start using it, and then just slowly took over the building. Like, <laughs> didn't ask anyone. Yeah. Mig- over time, <laughs> yeah. just migrated. He said they just started putting signs on doors, just saying MFA. Yeah. <laughs> and no one objected. Right. So then they took over this massive. It was a like a textiles factory or something like that. Um, so they squatted their way into exactly. dominance yeah, of the building. Exactly. In like 70s Times Square. Yeah. You know? um, it's really cool. Which obviously that would never happen these days. Yeah. Well, I think they sold that building actually and moved to Soho yeah. to a much smaller, um, you know, much cleaner environment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Hunter was great. I loved it there. It was, um, they were really good faculty at the time, still are, but yeah. Carrie Moyer was there or still is, I believe, and Daniel Boshkov. Mm-hmm. Um, Malik Gaines was there for a little while. Katie Siegel, I think mm-hmm. she's not there anymore. So yeah, it was kind of an intense shift. And you I'm had sure. a good, um, good colleagues, classmates? Um, or did you not really? I don't know. I mean, some of them I keep in touch with. Mm-hmm. I kind of had a hard, it was a hard adjustment period for me. It was like, I slept like 10 hours a night and I, I was oh, really? just like so exhausted when I first moved here. Uh-huh. Just like the city was really overwhelming yeah. to me, um, and so I had a kind of a rough like first year. And did then, did you live in Manhattan? No, I lived in Bushwick. Okay. Um, under the JMZ, you know, so it looked like 
out on Broadway. A, yeah, it looks like a Dick Tracy set or something. You know, it was so like, gritty still. This was 2010-ish. Yeah, and I think it's, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't even gritty at that time, but to me it felt like it was. Yeah, I lived over there in the late 90s. Whoa, it yeah. It was gritty. Yeah. <laughs> it was a different kind of gritty. Yeah, right. Like, actually scary. Um, I remember I asked this paramedic for directions once. I was always lost. And he just looked at me and he was like, <laughs> he's like, just put your head down and stay out of the shadows and walk straight that direction for like two miles. Whoa. That is Dick Tracy. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Not to scare you. No, not at all. Yeah. You're fine. Were you over by the school? The 318? Or was there I was on. A big I don't remember. I was on the uh, the Kosciuszko. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Stop. Yeah. yeah. Uh, on Locust Street, which is a small, in this loft thing, yeah. which was really cool. It looked like a, you know, like the set of Real World or something. It was kind of this idyllic, um, you know, Bushwick space, and I just it was like Craigslist people that I lived yeah. with. But yeah, I was like commuting and going to Hunter and I had to work a lot still, you know, I was still working like 20 hours a week in a coffee shop and right. going to class. And so it was kind of, you know, it was a big adjustment, but that program's three years. So I was really thankful for that last year. Mm-hmm. And that's when I think the work really started to open up and Yeah, the three-year better. programs are getting a little more popular these days. I don't understand how anyone does it into, unless you, I guess if you don't have to have a job at all, mm-hmm. um, and you can just really focus, but that first year is just so, I think about uh, kind of deconstructing your ideas of what your work is about. And yeah. you might return to those ideas later, but it should be a lot of experimentation. And then your last semester is kind of gearing up for your show. I don't know, two years just seems really like truncated to it's, me. It's like, it's like a short flight. Yeah. You're ascending and descending. Right. Like you're never up there cruising. Right. And you know? that's so, too bad. Cause it's, kind of the only time where you're really given that that space and that time to yeah the victory lap can be useful yeah i was a five-year undergrad oh yeah because i transferred and lost some credits so where did did you go to school i went to undergrad at penn state okay cool so i I did the old ye old victory lap Mm -hmm. which was you know great it was basically that last year is nothing but our classes and studio time which um helped and then i went straight to graduate school so i didn't do the whole break thing that some people advertise mm-hmm. it's like either one you know you never know what it would have been like the right. other way some people are like you gotta take a break in between undergrad and grad school and mm-hmm. some people say oh, yeah I took a two year break and I worked a shit job and mm-hmm. it was awful so right. I went to grad school yeah. so you know like the, worked in a factory and yeah. wanted to kill myself yeah, yeah exactly. I don't know what the you know I don't. I think it's different for every person yeah it doesn't seem like there's really a, any prescriptive way of going about it no. and you know it works out with any kind of narrative. Right. It seems like it just ultimately doesn't matter yeah. as long as you keep making stuff. And so you were, so you had your studio for three years. Mm-hmm. So what happens when they kick you out? Well, I actually, or graduate. Right. <laughs> you guys sure <laughs> really? I can just stay here? Post, post degree? My last semester there was amazing because they were moving into the new building, but they couldn't do it all at once. So they mm-hmm. were just kind of um, gradually moving people out. And the building was effectively empty, so they only kept the last semester people there. So they didn't want to, you know, disrupt your practice. Right, right. So we got huge spaces, and it was so fun that last semester. And then after that, I won this um, grant called uh, the Daedalus Grant. Yeah. And part of that, there's a stipend, but they also, for a while, were giving you a studio for a year. So I moved directly into that. Nice. Yeah, it was awesome. That's a good transition. That was crazy. It's so lucky. Where was that? Um, I don't know if they're still doing it, but it used to be at Industry City. Oh, okay. Like, was mm. it Industry City before it became Industry no. City? No, it was after when they, you know, renovated it. Oh, and it was the new. Covered it with all of this, like, fake graffiti. And artisanal <laughs> cafes. And right, that. exactly. Yeah. It's amazing what happened to that place. I had never seen it before, but I imagined. I mean, it just seemed, yeah, it was not tasteful (laughs) (laughs) and there were a few people who were um who were holdouts i think from because i think they just kind of aggressively kicked everyone out didn't give them much notice at all and um i don't know it seems like now there's a lot of vacancy though i think they dropped the prices again 
Indeed. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, how many artists can afford that? Although it's a lot of other people, like designers right. or whatever, but it's yeah. huge and it's it's massive. A lot of studio spaces. And it's kind of far out there, you know, yeah. transit-wise. It's on the D, like, you know, 40th or something like that. Yeah. It's kind of and far. If you drive, like I'm a driver, mm -hmm. it, around there is not fun. Do you like driving in Brooklyn? I love driving. Me too. There's an art <laughs> I don't know why I'm it. whispering it like it's bad. Yeah, no, no, I love it. <laughs> And, like, I know Manhattan, like, I'm a parking, like, that's my thing. Like, I know exactly where you could park for uh -huh. how long and right. where the meters are and <laughs> where the alternate sides. Yeah. You know, because I've been driving in the city for, like, almost 20 years. So. Do you have a compact vehicle? No, I drive a Hummer. No. <laughs> I just drive on top of other cars to park. <laughs> no, I have, like, a little Honda. Yeah. Oh, okay, It's cool. a little guy, so it's convenient. Yeah, I have this SUV thing um, to move paintings around. Oh, that must be hard to... It's actually not, park. though. I think it, someone told me that it's the same frame as a Camry. Oh, there you go. But it's, it's just taller. taller. Yeah. It's a Highlander. Right. But I don't know if I really believe that. Because it feels much larger to me. But it's a little bit trickier to park. Yeah. I'm not that good at parking. I mean, it, I think it's the social pressure that gets me. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, you know, everyone watching you and waiting aggressively for you to get out of their way. Oh, yeah. See, I feed off that. You know, <laughs> sorry. My, when I was a kid, my dad, you know, was, I thought it was terrible. He used to, when I learned how to drive, he would set up in the school parking lot cans, like aluminum cans, and I would have to parallel park without hitting them. Uh-huh. So, so you don't small. really see them. Right. So you had to really get it. Right. Know? But now I can parallel park in one move. Yeah. Like, I don't even have to move back and forth. Like, I'm... Really? Not to toot my own horn. Sure, but you I'm are pretty, kind of. Pretty good, pretty good at parallel parking. So I kind of love that. Yeah. I love the art of squeezing my car into a spot that's two inches bigger right. than my car. That no one else would be able to. Yeah, in a yeah. pinch too. Right. Like, and then some people who are waiting will, they'll pull up next to you uh -huh. and they'll, instead of like giving you a dirty look because you took too long, like give you the thumbs up. <laughs> really? But yeah, I've gotten that before. That's a completely different experience it than my own. It feels really good. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's weird. <laughs> The little things. Yeah, right. Yeah, so, uh, so you, okay, you had a studio in Industry City. Yeah, I did. Um, then what that was a weird when... year. My work was so bad. Oh, my God. That's what I was going to ask. Where was the work so in school versus that? I feel like my work just, I mean, I guess everyone thinks that their work is always terrible, but I feel like really in the last kind of six or eight months or so, my work has changed to something that, you know, I can show and you not opened a new door. Yeah, a new room. Or I yeah. think I just practiced and got better. But that whole year after grad school was just bad, like so bad. <laughs> when I look back at those, I find the images on my computer sometimes, and just gradually deleting all of them because they're so embarrassing. They can't be that bad. Oh my god, I'll show you pictures. Can I use those for the fly? <laughs> <laughs> just like a grid. I don't all. know what it was. It was just I felt like I just forgot everything. You know, like I just, the material is just gone. I think it's just hard to graduate. And, you know, I didn't have much of a community after graduation, yeah. which is odd because the program was so big, you'd think that just numbers wise, you'd land with a couple people. Depends but, though on the dynamic. You know? Yeah, I just didn't. I, I do this uh, um, artist run gallery space called Underdonk mm -hmm. in Brooklyn. And a few of those, um, those friends are underdog people, but it's really just sort of a, it's more of a professional relationship. Right. Like we're not, we don't hang out or anything. We're not yeah. buds. Uh, so that was kind of a lonely, weird year of just painting. I painted all the time because I felt this enormous obligation after getting that grant and then that free studio. So it was there constantly. It just wasn't mm -hmm. really going anywhere. It's just. Well, everyone has those. You have to get that stuff out of your system. Right. Like I had that. I remember being in school and having that experience and having crits and it was so painful mm -hmm. because so I was in like, a transition I and right. I'm like, I don't really know what I'm like. I knew that I could paint or whatever. Mm -hmm. I was just in a weird spot in painting. Mm -hmm. And then you have these visiting artists come and they're like, well, I don't know. Maybe, yeah. the, maybe, you know, maybe math is your thing. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so crippling. I mean, yeah. I'm sure they you don't mean helpless. it to be, you know, I'm sure they're just, you know, they do a million of those things. Yeah. 
a day. They just come in. Well, the visiting artists are the worst. They could, they could just come in and set the fires and leave. You know? Right, yeah. They're like the grandparents. They come in and give the kid like 400 pounds of chocolate and like, see you later. And right. And you got to like get him to sleep. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. You know, they just come in and like blow up the place. I love when, like when a visiting artist comes and like the next day or the two days after the the students are still grumbling. About, oh, totally. Like, oh, did you hear what they said to Bubba? You know, and they're like, oh, they just came in and like destroyed the place. Right, and they've already forgotten what they said to you. And, yeah. You know. It's like Keith Richards in the hotel room. Just destroy. <laughs> right. Throw the guitar out the window and leave. Like, I got my paycheck. Right. I'm out of here. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, not all visiting artists. I almost artists. admire it. Yeah. yeah. There's something <laughs> cavalier about yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, or maybe they just understand that none of that shit really matters you know like I don't really remember any of the what I thought was scathing remarks that I received from visiting artists you know yeah but you do or at least I remember that it's good to be turned on your head you know oh yeah because then you're like wait what you know I gotta think about that as opposed to everything just being a very constructive Mm -hmm. normalized critique of your work right it's kind of good to have I had an artist I'll say it <laughs> Gonna use names. When I was in grad school. Laura <laughs> Owens came into my studio, uh-huh. and she was like, "I don't know." She's like, "It just looks like you're ready to have a show." Oh, that's such a good criticism. And she's like, "Why? Why do you? Why are you making these? I mean, are you just trying to have a show?" It was so confusing. Wow. It yeah. was really confusing. These are too polished and self-assured. Like I see what she meant now, but mm-hmm. it was irritating at the time. Right. It's like, well, I'm just working. If it looks like cohesive, or mm-hmm. you know. I don't know. It was just funny. Yeah. And the, the way it came off, I was right. just like, eh. But now I, I get it. Right. It makes sense, you know, especially to her and the way she works. Right. Not right. everyone has the same process. You know, some people have to slowly, they have to Van Gogh it mm-hmm. and slowly change over the course of like 20 <laughs> paintings as opposed to, Absolutely. you know, yeah. Tom Friedman who brings in a tennis ball in his studio and he's like, today I'm going to make fuzz out mm-hmm. of a tennis ball. You know, like there's <laughs> different ways for different people and different techniques you You like podcasts have you ever listened to the malcolm gladwell one i haven't i know he's kind of obnoxious he's sort of polarizing but i haven't listened i kind of love him um but in the podcast it'll just take kind of take on any topic in malcolm gladwell style as um you know kind of like a savant or whatever and just approach it through experts and stuff like that but there's this one kind of interesting episode about cezanne versus picasso Uh uh-huh and um, kind of the, I guess, sort of like the duration of their entire careers as artists. And Picasso's was, uh, I mean, according, I don't, I don't know if this is true, but according to this segment, um, Picasso would work through ideas pretty thoroughly in advance of starting anything. Mm-hmm. And Cezanne kind of saw his work as constantly evolving like even finished canvases and he was sort of notorious for destroying his own work and kind of painting over it and stuff like that and so it's sort of about viewing the entirety of an artist's career and why we would ever privilege you know having a show's worth of work finished and and what that means and how arbitrary that is um it's really compared to their entire biography you know i have to listen to that yeah it's good it makes sense though because Cezanne was like moving through ideas and right exactly and picasso did too but he would he would come up with like it was compartmentalized like he would Mm -hmm. open new doors to new like ideas and shift and change Mm -hmm. you know draw like 400 drawings for one painting and then in that he would open up a new door and Mm -hmm. make you know a whole new body of work right it's kind of like um like miles davis versus like charles mingus right i think they actually make that comparison in the podcast yeah i think he's sort of uh i think Malcolm Gladwell's into jazz. Yeah. Um, what am I doing not listening to this podcast? It's not <laughs> it's like the I only don't episode I've it's the only one I've ever listened to, actually. Yeah, I have to. My friend I, Nikki sends them. She's kind of an addict. Um, she sends them to me all the time. Podcast addict. Yeah. <laughs> so I prefer listening to them over music in the studio. Yeah. Um, I see. I can't. I can't really? listen to podcasts when I'm working in the studio, but I listen to them when I'm driving or oh, right. doing yeah. any other thing Mm -hmm. you know what I mean but in the studio I have to have music really do you know why that is I just like the energy of the music yeah and I want to be mentally kind of more focused on what I'm doing or Mm -hmm. the music I don't know it's weird Hmm. it's not like I can I've done it a few times and I'll I used to have um, TV on a lot oh yeah that's funny like after 9-11 I had the TV on for like three straight years in the studio really all my work was about like conspiracy issues and like you know really yeah it was all it got heavily influenced I think 
you know, unconsciously by yeah. steady diet of 24 hour news cycle, anxiety and fear, wow. which I, you know, it just happened. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I think I purged out after that and, mm-hmm. and got back into just listening to music all the time. I just listened to, um, I think this guy is a, I think he's a journalist, but he was talking about, um, his focus on, I think he wrote a book about, uh, conspiracy theories Mm -hmm. and not really taking them seriously necessarily, but not dismissing them either. But his angle was looking at them as a, uh, method for kind of national healing. Mm -hmm. And it's really fascinating. Like he followed, um, conspiracy theories around the assass- uh, JFK's assassination and how sort of indelible they are and how mm-hmm. much people are still compelled by that stuff. Yeah. And also ties in some like 9-11 conspiracy theory stuff and right. um, just looks at it as a way to like deal with momentous, unthinkable tragedy. Coping mechanism. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah, kind of fascinating. Yeah, but humans do that outside of tragedy too. Yeah, it's true, yeah. We kind of do it every day isn't For society sure. basically like our way of c- coping with the fact that we have no idea what's going to happen why we're here what's going to happen when we're absolutely done here right so we just focus in on like i've got a new show coming up sure yeah <laughs> that'll keep my mind off of dying you totally know what I mean? like yeah but i think he the part of the point that he's making is sort of the retreat from reason you know like the yeah. uh, insistence on proving something that's unprovable because right. there's no evidence so yeah. you just kind of invent evidence or take something that's really circumstantial and um you know inflate its meaning mm-hmm. as a way to kind of bond as a sense of community which right. i thought was really beautiful actually yeah, yeah definitely yeah, yeah to that's you know, i think it's human nature yeah absolutely and that's a microcosm of a bigger you know thing that we do mm-hmm. all the time so for well, sure that got far away from where yeah. your work was and <laughs> After school, but, it was but, yeah, it was bad, and I was kind of um, I don't know. I just felt like I had. I think everybody just has a hard time leaving school, and you know all of the old cliches about just not having anyone to look at your work anymore, and feeling this uh, probably undue sense of of importance. Yeah, you know, and right. then moving into the void. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then you just have to um, reposition yourself and think about why you're doing it it's a big the, challenge yeah and I what are the to, actual criteria for success you know yeah yeah i try to warn students about that sometimes like it's gonna get real quiet right when you get out of here totally and everyone says that but i don't think there's any way to emphasize it enough right <laughs> one of my favorite teachers in grad school is mel bachner and i remember oh, the last yeah. critique i had with uh-huh. him and he he just said you know well what are you gonna do and i said well i'm gonna move to new york and he's like it's not easy. <laughs> like, thanks. That thanks was it. Mel. Yeah, that was my send off. Like, it's not he's easy. He's right. He's totally right. And then, yeah, he was, he was right. Yeah. But you have to be prepared. Yeah, and, for sure. And you have to have a. I think you just have to be super into it, no matter mm-hmm. what. You know, you have to. I think having zero other interests or talents makes it made it a lot easier for me. Like, I didn't. Um, you know, diverge at all and do music or anything like that. I've yeah. never, I have a lot of musician friends and it's kind of a big part of my social life actually, but I don't make any music. Um, do you so see just, a lot of music? Yeah, actually, no, a friend of mine is in a band with my brother-in-law. They're called Sister Pact. They're actually playing a show tonight uh-huh. at Mercury Lounge with um, You Ask Girls. Nice. Them. And, uh, what kind of music? It's it? kind of like like sample kind of dance music uh-huh. um, and Logan does the sampling and the singing and he has this kind of really beautiful I mean he distorts it mm-hmm. pretty heavily uh, and then Omar my brother-in-law does uh, he's a pretty virtuosic guitar player and that's their setup and then um, I have Omar the same guys in the band called Language mm-hmm. and he plays guitar in that band as well uh so you're around a lot of musicians. Yeah, so there's a lot of musicians in my life. And kind of growing up as well, my brothers all played music. Yeah. To varying degrees of, you know, commitment. Fame. <laughs> no fame. Zero fame. fame. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was around. Yeah, it was around. And I dated um, a guitarist for a long time when I was an undergrad. Mm-hmm. 
How was that? <laughs> well, let's move on. <laughs> I wonder if he would ever listen to this. I haven't talked to him in years. It didn't. It didn't go well. <laughs> well, you know. Yeah. Anyway. Early age. Yeah. Exactly. You're right. Stuff. Yeah. You've moved on. Yeah. Hopefully, if we both have. I'm so, sure. what do you listen to music at all in the studio? Um, yeah, you know, sometimes I do. I need to get, I don't have a really good sound. I think I don't like listening to it not on a good sound system. Oh, yeah. Because it sounds so shitty to me. In podcasts, I don't really care. Um, you should get yourself some Bose noise canceling. Yeah, and I was thinking about it. You can get into your own world. In I was this. just and shopping, yeah. So you could just move around and stuff. Totally, I was just looking at some on Amazon. I got my wife a pair of those, and she yeah. really liked At first, she was like, oh, this is, this is nice. Mm-hmm. And then, like, a couple weeks later... These are amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like I don't have to listen to the rest of the right. world's crap. Yeah, yeah. and I don't want to, you know, we have all this shared airspace in the studio, and I don't mm-hmm. want to disrupt those guys either. So right. maybe that's the, the route I should take. I recommend. Yeah. So what kind of music? Oh. Sampling dance music? No, no, I like that band a lot, though. Um, I've been listening to um, a lot of different stuff. I think primarily I'm into kind of post-punk, uh-huh. like, um, like Proto-Martyr and Ought. Do you know those bands? I don't. Ott's from Montreal, and um, they're amazing. And Proto Martyr is from Detroit, I think. Were you a non neo punk punk fan? Um, I don't know how I got. I mean, I loved sort of emo music when I was younger. Um, I'm interested. What, I, is that? What you, I don't know if that's what you, I'm really bad at classifying sure. stuff. I emo, think, like who? Just, yeah, like um, like at the drive-in. I was a big fan of at the drive-in. Don't know. Was you that, don't know that? I bet you would like recognize that. Was that yeah, that you? stuff was a little bit before me, before, or yeah. like um, uh, you know, like oh, cursive old. or. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, I listened to that stuff, but it was sort of the next generation of right, those bands. Right. Um, I don't know if I know those bands. You because I kind of maybe grew up would be into it. The unwounds and the right. All that stuff. Yeah. Like, I used to see bands like that all the time playing basements and stuff. In basements. Wow, that's yeah. crazy. Um, I loved uh, Built to Spill. I still really like oh, Built to yeah. Spill. I've seen From them Twin Falls, Idaho. Yeah, that's right. That um, was a big undergraduate school record for... Which was, one? Um, the the one with... Um, Keep It Like a Secret? Is that, is that the one with the clouds on it? I think so. It's they like pink a, with clouds, I think. They have a bunch of albums, right? It was early. This yeah. was one of their first ones. And then uh, Guided by Voices was big. I and love, Pavement. Yeah, of course. All yeah. that stuff. Totally. We listened to a lot of that. We were still listening to that stuff when I was in um, undergrad. The Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs had just come out mm-hmm. with Fever to Tell. That was a, that was a new one. Yeah. Um, but now I really love... Angel Olsen, I've been into her. Um, Bully, I just discovered. If I discovered, someone told me about it. Right. <laughs> I don't do any research. That's discovery. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I guess kind of, I like rock, rock mm-hmm. music. I don't know. What nice. do you listen You listen to all different kinds of stuff, right? Yeah. You're a jazz enthusiast. I'm kind of an all enthusiast. Yeah. Yeah. I what are you listening all. to right now? Recently, what have I been into? The new Giraffage I've been listening to a lot. I don't know what that and is. And the new Toki Monster. <laughs> yeah, I like that you're writing these down. <laughs> I can email you a list. It's like a soft pastel. <laughs> I think the mic can pick that yeah. up. <laughs> um, what else am I listening to? Oh, man, a lot, a lot of stuff. I've been listening to a lot of... Uh, I'm kind of like African disco kind of funk stuff mm-hmm. from from back That's in cool. the day, yeah. like the 70s, and mixing in some jazz and yeah, all sorts of of stuff. Mm-hmm. But that giraffage lately has been one giraffage. I've, been I've never heard of them a lot too. Cool. And uh, yeah, but I kind of you know I love music. Yeah, I feel kinds. like I you know get into kind of ruts where I'll listen to the same you know 10 or so albums at a time and so I tried to every once in a while I'll look at something like uh like I just looked at like the Pitchfork top 100 albums from the 1970s Uh and then just kind of started going down and just listening to them sequentially you know yeah I like doing stuff like that just to and so when I'm doing that, I'll have it on in the studio. I guess yeah. I like not being able to predict what I'm going to listen to or right. what I'm going to hear while I'm painting. So with podcasts, that's why it's good because it's like you'll never re-listen to a podcast. Yeah. Or probably I, not, you know. I take it that you don't Spotify. I don't. I have Apple Music and I just, you know, download an album mm-hmm. at a time and kind of listen to it. 
Spotify is pretty amazing. Maybe I should do that. Yeah. It's just there's everything on there. Right. And I say that as a musician who, or a past musician who's put out albums and never seen a cent from them, <laughs> and it's on there, so I'm not wow. gaining any money. What's so your band I know involved? they kind of, for a lot of artists, it's not a great money scheme sort of right, thing. Right. But I have to say they have a lot of stuff on right. there. You can listen to around the world. And, and they suggest stuff to you, right? They do. There's an algorithm. There is. Everything's an algorithm. Right. <laughs> I don't even know what an algorithm is, really. <laughs> it's a Spotify it's a just, playlist called a, Algorithm. It's a word I'd toss around. million users. <laughs> it sounds great. Yeah, it sounds very smart. So, well, let's talk a little bit mm-hmm. about your art. Oh, yeah, sure. Like, and what you're doing now. Like, cool. so you had this breakthrough. Yeah. <laughs> you moved not on. say that. Um, well, I went to Rome for a while, for oh, two wow. weeks, by myself. And um, that was, it was weird. It's a kind of a weird place to go by yourself. I traveled around a little bit. I'd been to Florence before for a few weeks. And uh, I just booked this trip and had no idea what I was doing and didn't research anything. Where did you stay? I stayed. Oh, my God. I stayed. Uh Airbnb. It's not even that bad. It was just this Airbnb with with a woman who ended up being really infirm and it was bad and she like really should have been in hospice or she she was in hospice there were were a bunch of nurses there yeah taking care of her and I mean it was like this was your room yeah it was like she was dying basically and her daughter was like renting out the room adjacent it was fucked up so I got out of there really quickly it just felt so wrong and invasive and not how you want to experience a new how it was advertised yeah (laughs) Didn't come as evidence. Right. Didn't leave them a two-star review. Right. No, that would have been terrible. I don't think I've ever reviewed anything. I'm never going to do that. Um, but anyway, so I moved to Trastevere, which is that little neighborhood just over the river. Sure. I've never been there. Oh, you've never been there. Okay. Sorry. I don't, that's so pretentious to talk about it. Like. Oh, no, no. I just... I've, you know the I little... should have been there. Right. It's I've been cool. to Verona. Yeah. That was nice. Verona's really I've nice. never been to Rome. Um, Rome is amazing. It's beautiful. And this little neighborhood, it's slightly less uh, traffic, mm-hmm. like tourist traffic. You're a little bit farther out. And I loved it. And I just walked around and just, you know, looked at art all day. Nice. And there's plenty of, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of good painting there, of course. But there's a lot of really good sculpture. Yeah. And I think that that's really what um, left a mark after I came back home. And just also the ordinary placement of everything in Italy kind of more generally but it's such a part of daily life and it's so operatic and intense but it's just uh you know as you're walking down the street there's a line of Bernini's or something and I think that really stuck with me coming back and also just thinking about the figures I don't know if this is gonna make any sense but I started stopped thinking about the figures as needing a specific setting and mm-hmm. I kind of started thinking of them as sculptures so sort of paintings of sculptures uh, which freed me from worrying too much about their context like the time of day or yeah. what they might be wearing or something like that it's like they are forms yeah that exist. exactly and it was kind of a shift away from uh, thinking about the narrative weight and being more concerned with the gesture mm-hmm. a lot of the sculptures that you see around Italy have this um, kind of widely understood and prescribed narrative that the artists used and then within that framework would uh, innovate. Mm -hmm. So I started thinking about that a little bit and it made me, I don't know. And also I think you just get better. Like you always want to pinpoint (laughs) the place where it turned, but it's honestly just. That had a big effect. Yeah. It did feel a lot different when I got back and, well, it sounds like it gave you license to to make changes in the work that you might not have if you didn't go there. Yeah, know? and just the the kind of melodrama that I'm actually interested in, I felt like it could be sort of funny and um, it didn't have to be lofty. Because art there doesn't feel like it's very lofty. It just mm-hmm. feels like it's totally ingrained, you know? Yeah. And they change it all the time. There are sculptures from ancient Greece that were plundered by the Romans and then the Romans added on to them you know yeah 
Just so crazy. <laughs> we'll just fix these. Right. <laughs> just, you know, don't mind if I do. <laughs> Which is really interesting. Yeah, it's, it's like fascinating. Collage totally. In three dimensional space yeah. over centuries or yeah. scores of decades. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah so. so, anyway, that had a big impact. And um, then I had a show with all of 2016, I had nothing happen, like, not a single show crickets it, oh my god it was bad really yeah but it was okay because the work sucked so it kind of made sense and then after I got back from Italy kind of that fall I think things got a lot better and then I had a show with um that Holly Coolis mm-hmm. put together at yeah. this gallery called Tamor Grani which is not there anymore but that he's still active he in, in London mm-hmm. yeah yeah but he um he's I still work with him he's a great guy he's doing this kind of nomadic um, like two week thing yeah. and art fairs that sort of model that's cool and then what happened after that I had a couple of other group things I had a solo show actually that was supposed to be open right now but the gallery closed like the week before it was supposed to open oh yeah man <laughs> that was pretty intense so you're sitting on a show <laughs> yes I have a lot of work right now um, but it was actually kind of good in a, a few ways but one way is that I had this DC Moore thing that's opening on the 9th of November. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really have anything to give him that I was really proud of. So Guess now... <laughs> the floodgates have yeah. opened. <laughs> like, which of you these 19 paintings would you like? <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, that's good. That's a yeah. great venue. Yeah. And it'll be... I think it'll be a so good show. So is that a three-person show? It's uh, four people. Four, okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, I think it'll be cool. It's in that little project room mm-hmm. that's off of the main space. So, yeah, and then I have a solo that's going to open next March at, um, I'm not allowed to say what the gallery is. It's a oh. secret. Oh, you're not allowed? Yeah. Oh, it's under wraps? <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. That's a teaser. I know. That's a cliffhanger. <laughs> Wait, in March? In March, yeah. Oh, nice. I, it's not, it's not a big off. deal. She just hasn't announced her plans that's yet. Okay. So, yeah. Can you tell me after? Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, cool. totally. I just feel like she'll listen to this and be really mad at me. It's really irritating for <laughs> listeners. <I> wait. <laughs> March isn't that far off. It's not. Yeah. It's not. I have a show coming in February and I'm worried because it's not worried, but mm-hmm. you know, it's like, oh, February, that's next year. Right. No, it's, it's like so two soon. weeks from now. Do you paint with oil? No. With acrylic? Acrylic. Okay. And hair dryers. And hair dryers. Yes. <laughs> Pro hack. Right. Yeah. I use hair dryers yeah. to speed up the process. Totally. Yeah. Where's your show? Can you say where your show is? Amaringo McHenry Yoey Gallery. Oh. <laughs> my gallery. Yeah. Or not mine. I don't own it, but yeah. where I show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it'll great. Be, okay. It'll be with them. Cool. Yeah. That's exciting. It is. It's, it'll be good too. How many paintings are you going to show? It's a great question. Oh, yeah. I guess I you, you have know. so much time. No, no. Out. I mean, I'm just working. I, I edit. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, I'll make all this work sure. and then kind of edit it down and to give myself options. So, yeah. I don't know exactly how many. When you go through that editing process, is that something that you do by yourself? Or do you consult with, does it feel like a very private I do, decision? It's kind of a two-layer. Like, mm-hmm. I'll do it myself in the beginning mm-hmm. and send certain things, you know, if there's yeah. some things that just don't make the cut. And then I'll send what I feel good enough with, and then we go into the space and then see how, that's the next part of it is, how does it work in the space? Right. And there's people who like to build little models and maquettes and all that. I mm-hmm. need to just be in the space and move things around sure. to see how it's going to look. Yeah. You know, it's They're kind of bigger works, right? Sometimes, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, this one will be all sorts of sizes. Mm-hmm. But I also do animation, too. So that changes the dynamic. How big will the monitor be? Or is it projected? Or is there a different room? So it kind of adds a flux to it that mm-hmm. I like. But I just don't know until I get in the space. You know. Will you be including animation with this? show i'm gonna be, have a new one cool That's yeah exciting. and that takes longer than the paintings i can imagine sure. yeah it's a process right oh, wait how did this turn into <laughs> now we're interviewing you <laughs> <laughs> flipped uh, it on you yeah you did you're good at this yeah <laughs> um what else to say i don't know do you have any questions i'm just there? a big fan i uh, i'm really excited to see all these because i've been since i caught sight of them mm-hmm. i've been really interested in your work so oh thank you i'm um, glad you caught sight of them yeah there's a lot of stuff out there in the world there yeah there's well a lot of, it was a lot of good painting right must now. have been you must have been part of my algorithm yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not weird though it's like can i tell you something crazy yeah sure okay it's i don't know if it's not crazy but i had 
you know, you can look at like analytics for your website and, oh, yeah, and yeah. track how many yep. people have looked at it. Refers and all that stuff. Exactly. So I looked at that and I had 5,000 for a single day, which for me is a lot, I think for anyone probably. Yeah, that's a lot of traffic. For a painting website. So I assumed it was probably some kind of bogus thing. And I looked, you can actually follow the link that it's, you know. Right. Who's from where referring. it's Right, yeah. exactly. So I followed that link and it was a porn site. Oh. But it's called Indie Nudes. And it's just like a link to all of these artists who use nudity. Nudes, oh yeah. And, but then also regular porn. And so it's this like crazy website. Weird. Did you screen grab it? Um, Were no. you right next to like... It was like hardcore porn. Well, no, it wasn't even. It's like kind of all. I mean, it seemed like kind of like tasteful, like artist, like artsy stuff. Right, right. But it was just amazing to me, like how much traffic was generated just from that. That's depressing. I I know it's so depressing. That's really the internet, isn't it? It was like the weirdest internet moment that I think I've ever had. And I was like, well, good, I guess. It's the wild west. Yeah, the internet. (laughs) So depressing. Yeah, it is. So much depravity. I mean, people just like watching people make yeah, love. Yeah, make but love. it is. Yeah, is that the nice way to say it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's not making love at all. Whoops. I was just yeah. trying to polish that. Yeah, just Google gem. love making. Yeah, exactly. it'll take you to indie nudes. Yeah. <laughs> but the idea that in one day the more people can see your work on that than right. like a like, lifetime oh, in galleries. Yeah, exactly. It's depressing. You know, absolutely. Yeah. But democratizing. And also, yeah, I think about that all the time, just the use of, um, you know, the female body in, in painting. And yeah. it's immediately uh, ascribed, you know, sexual intent and right. overtones. And that's there, too. But it's also just about my body and the bodies of women in, yeah. in space. And Right. Well, I think it depends on the viewer, too. Yeah. Like, there's going to be certainly. people walk in the gallery who have a long understanding of art history and right. maybe references that you're pulling from and For things sure. that you're interested in and then there's going to be the people coming off the street and be like oh it's new people right. you know just yeah it's totally true that yeah. reaction like i love it right i'll buy it <laughs> i'll buy it and then you know well yeah so it's <laughs> <laughs> and then i sell it yeah readily complicated <laughs> it's complicated it is it's a yeah. weird dynamic for sure it is I really am, love the work. Thank I can't you. wait to see, you know, the show coming up. At yeah, I think the, it'll be really cool. To be named later. Oh, that show. Yeah, space. that'll hopefully be and really DC good. And DC Moore. When does DC Moore open? That opens on November 9th. Okay, which will... Which is a, a Thursday. It'll probably be right around when this comes out, I'm guessing. Oh, cool. Sometime oh, that's great. in that area. So, oh, good. So Maybe everyone go see the DC plug. Moore show. Yeah. It's just on 22nd. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> that's the sure fate. <laughs> Yeah, 20. It's in the 20s. It's in Chelsea. Yeah, it's in Chelsea. DC Moore Gallery. <laughs> um, cool. Cool. And people can find you on, they can on, subscribe oh, on, to your algorithm yeah, on Instagram. Yeah, I have an Instagram account. It's mm-hmm. just Danny Orchard, which right. is um, what most people call me. Danny. Danny, but I go by Danielle. Your professional, professional moniker. My professional name. Yeah. Friends call you Danny. Right. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So thanks so much for yeah. having me over. Thank you. Really great to see you this. This is fun. Thanks. Sound and Vision is produced, recorded, and facilitated by myself, Brian Alfred. The introduction was recorded by Michael Lovett of the band Niska Lines. You can also catch him performing in his band Metronomy. The intro outro music is by Sean Seymour from the band Lullatone. Please subscribe, rate, and review Sound and Vision on iTunes. You can find studio snapshots and additional information at soundandvisionpodcast.com. You can find more information about my own paintings and animations at paintchanger.com. Thanks for listening and supporting this podcast, and thanks to all the artists who share their stories with me.